Today we welcome two of our international partners, John and Amy Cross are here. John and Amy, if you'll stand up right now, we want to honor you. We're grateful for you. Here they are. Yes. John and Amy have been serving for the last eight years in South Sudan and Kenya. John's the country director. Amy's a chaplain. And together they have traveled. John left his job here at Warehouser and traveled across the world. Listening to God's call in, a, in this very room, you know, God's leading and then bringing clean water and then also building relationships, enjoying community, bringing the living water of Jesus, building up leaders. We're grateful for their ministry. I know many of you have been praying and connecting with them. We get to see them in person today. And aren't we grateful for a church family that's listening to God and just going where God wants us to go and serving where God wants us to serve? Amen. <clears throat> I have the results from the annual vote. Drum roll. Uh, it's a resounding yes. I, I heard a drum roll in the front row. Uh, a resounding yes for the budget, the bylaws, three new elders. We are so grateful. They are stepping up to serve. And not only that, the number of voters was much higher. And I'll tell you, there is an excitement about what God is doing at Grace. And there's a participation, there's a yes, let's, let's run with Jesus in what he's doing at this time. We also have the elders here today to pray at the end of the message. You probably picked up, if you've been here a while, that's a rhythm now. Once a month, we have the elders available, that's James chapter 5, to pray for you. Any requests that you have to come forward at the end of the message. They also have oil because it says in James chapter 5, anoint with oil if anyone needs healing. And so that will be available at the end of the message as well. We want to do what the Bible says. Amen. And that's why we have elders that are servant leaders and ready to pray with us and for us. Today we're in Revelation chapter 2. And where is the love is the title of this message. Where is the love? If you don't have a study Bible or access to a commentary, I encourage you to grab one of those resources. This is a book, Revelation. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of uh, parts of this book that when you first read it, you might wonder, now what's the context? What's going on? Grabbing that resource helps you as you study God's word to be built up in the word and then apply it, be a doer of the word. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for our church family to be in your word alone as a family in life groups. Jesus, we thank you that there is healing in your name. There's power in your name. There is forgiveness and love and salvation in your name. And God, we want to live for you today. I pray that you would move away all the sin that so easily entangles, God, and the traps that we sometimes fall into so that we could walk closely with you and live for you boldly in this culture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are messages from Jesus throughout the book of Revelation. In the first chapter, we've been studying who Jesus is and gaining a greater view in the fullness of the resurrected Lord. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is communicating to John to seven churches. Communicating intimately to seven churches. In chapters 4 and 5, we have a picture of the throne of God and the worship that's happening in heaven and how worthy God is of our praise right now. And then in chapters 6 through 19, you have God's justice and judgment, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, and the culmination is that the devil's thrown into the lake of fire. And there is an amen for that. We, we've all been looking forward to that. And then Revelation chapter 20 to 22, we have heaven 
healing, new heaven, uh, new earth. We have resurrected bodies. It's glorious. We're going to see the Lord face to face. Nothing better than what's coming. The best is yet to come. That's our home, and we're looking forward to that. We can rest assured today that God's faithful to those promises as well. That's the book of Revelation. That's what God's doing. And that's why we dive into this book. There's blessings to diving into the book of Revelation and throughout entire scripture as well. Sadly, this is a book that gets skipped over or goes sideways. We want to be solid with this book. We're going to look at a passage today where Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a place that you see in the book of Acts. Paul was there, a church started there, a healthy church in Ephesus. You also see that one of the 66 books is the Ephesians, a letter to the Ephesians. Those are the ones who live in Ephesus. Paul is writing to them. He's not with them anymore physically, but he's writing to them to build them up in their faith. Jesus is going to talk to seven churches. This is the first of the seven and probably the most well-known, or at least we have the other biblical references to Ephesus. We really have a clear picture of what's happening there. We're going to start with a map, and you'll notice that Ephesus is the largest city at that time in Asia Minor. It is on the eastern side of the Roman Empire, one of the bigger cities there. Trade routes, both through land and sea. You can see by the location, uh, it's right on the water, A lot of commerce, a lot of money, a lot of influence. Again, in Seattle, you might be able to think of some parallels there. A lot of influence, a lot of commerce and businesses taking off, and we also are close to the water. There's a lot of travel through the land. Ephesus is a major city. They also acknowledge by the Roman Empire as a free city, which means there's more self-rule there than other cities, and they have some independence. Note this, when you're given independence... Thank God for the independence our country has. We just celebrated it. But don't let that independence lead to a foolish attempt at independence from God. Amen? We are independent. We celebrate that on Independence Day. But may that drive us to a healthy reliance and dependence and abiding in Jesus. It's not a statement that we're independent of God. In fact, we need God immensely. And that's true in Ephesus, it's true today. They also have an amphitheater, and they like their entertainment, just like we like our entertainment. There's a glimpse of the amphitheater. Uh, Let's go back to the amphitheater. There we go, there's the amphitheater. And I don't know at the time of this picture if it was T-Mobile or Safeco, or if it was Lumen. Uh, Could have been a chariot company, maybe a, I don't know, papyrus company, but in any case, Uh, What we see there is a massive, a massive entertainment center. And again, you see some of the beauty. We also have a temple, and this is a rendition of the temple. This is not a temple where God is worshipped. This is the temple of Artemis. Artemis was known as a god of fertility, or so believed, a false god. And in that temple, there were thousands of temple prostitutes. Priests and priestesses and temple prostitutes people would think they're worshiping God and they would be committing sexual immorality. That gives you a glimpse of some of the idolatry in the city and the spiritual condition there. Now, Jesus is communicating and with the church because he loves the church so deeply. He loves local churches today so deeply. Jesus is committed to the local church, cares for the local church, dies for the local church, establishes the local church. Am I saying that every local church is healthy? No, I'm not saying that. 
but I'll tell you what you want to avoid in your walk with God. Oh, I'm against the church. I'm not part of any local church. I'm just doing my own thing. I bash the church. I gossip about the church. I'm better than the church. Don't fall into that trap. If we're going to be like Jesus, then we're going to want to follow his example and the way he views the church. He is committed to contributing and bolstering. He wants to see local churches be all they can be. Don't miss the heart of Jesus in this chapter. He wants to see local churches be all they can be, and he is committed and caring and communicates and will contribute more than anyone else. He's the leader of our church, and he is the leader of the church. He is the head. We follow Jesus. We have pastors and elders. We follow Jesus. This is his church. It belongs to him. He's communicating with the church and loves the church. Here's three questions today, reflection questions for us as we hear Jesus' words And note, as we read this, there's a historical context, and it's really important. Some people, when they open up the book of Revelation, just want to look forward. What's to come? What's to come? You need to start with the historical context. What is Jesus saying to the church then? There's also a relevant message for us today as followers of Jesus. And we also look ahead because there's so much prophecy in this book as well. Here's the first question. Do you know what you're doing well? Do you know what you're doing well? In chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Also in verse 6, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What is Jesus celebrating? He's celebrating a few things. As he looks at the church, there's hard work. There's perseverance. There's discernment. They stand on the truth. They don't water it down. There's purity, and they are solid in their doctrine. If Jesus is celebrating, that's a hint that it's good for us to celebrate often as well. Don't skip past the celebration and the affirmations. He specifically points out the Nicolaitans, and who are they? We don't know everything about them. But many accounts would say that there's idolatry. We know at that time there's emperor worship, there's false gods, Artemis. Uh, We know that they're involved in idolatry. We also know from many accounts that they're involved in Sexually immoral activities. Notice, idolatry leads to immorality. Sometimes the immorality catches our attention. What comes first is the idolatry. And when there's idolatry, when you put someone or something or your own desires above God, there will be immorality. They see this clearly and they don't get involved. I hope you see the idolatry in our culture and the immorality in our culture and you say, I'm going to stick with truth. I'm going to honor God. That's what they're doing, and they overcome false teaching. They overcome the the tide and the pull of the current in the culture. Acts 20, this is starting in verse 29. Paul was with them, and he gave them a warning, because love includes warnings. He says in Acts 20, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth, in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. 
Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. There are going to be people who come alongside of you, even from among you, who distort the truth and draw you away from God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, be on your guard for wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to pose as Christians. They're going to pull you away from the word and from faith and from following God. There's a celebration. There's an affirmation here. And receive the affirmation from God. Ephesians, receive the affirmation from God. You know it's important in your walk with God to receive his affirmation. In our culture, sometimes we highlight self-talk. There's destructive self-talk, which is not from God. And then there's a healthy self-talk. You see, like David does it in the Psalms. Uh, Self-affirmation has a place. Then there's affirmation from other people. Don't hinge your self-worth on that. Don't let critics crush you. But there's a place to celebrate affirmation from other people. More so than that is God's affirmation. In the Bible, know what he says about you. Know his affirmation and receive it. How is your receiver these days with God? Are you receiving his love in abundance as you abide with Jesus? If you don't receive his love, you might not have that much love to give. You receive his forgiveness, which is full. Therefore, you fully forgive other people. You receive his truth in full so that you speak and live truth in a culture that's often lying and full of half-truths. Receive first from the Lord his love, his forgiveness, his truth, his affirmation. That's what Jesus wants the Ephesians to do. That's what he wants us to do. It's good to celebrate. What does celebrating look like? Uh, Sometimes I have to remember to celebrate because I'm often running ahead in my mind to the next goal, the next objective. Anyone else like that? Like, wait, God just did something? I'm already thinking about what he could do down the road. Wait, let's stop and celebrate what God did. This is good. Let's receive his affirmation. This injury that I've had, this torn, ruptured Achilles tendon, it's a long process. And they say it's a year before I can fully play soccer again. I'm learning to celebrate the little milestones. Uh, here's one that I'm celebrating with my physical therapist. I can now stand on my left foot and then push up and get my heel off the ground. That is progress. That might not feel like a big deal to you. Let me tell you, after five months, that feels like a big deal. But I'm already wondering, when can I start jogging? When can I start jogging? It's like, okay, I'm going to celebrate that I can do this in the process. And I encourage you to continue to celebrate. We just celebrated what happened, what God did at the main event. We're celebrating what God's doing in our church as we serve together. That's why we showed the video so we could give glory to God and celebrate and see those little kids coming from the community, learning about Jesus and seeing all generations serve together and the joy that he brings. We are celebrating. We, are, uh, we sense God's affirmation. We celebrate each other's lives. Vern Daugherty, uh, just went to be with Jesus this week. He's, he was 95 years old. And we celebrate this man who loves Jesus, and he served in World War II. He devoted to our country, served in World War II. And so we celebrate his life. Is there grieving when someone passes? Yes, there is. And you can be spiritually in grief. We also celebrate God's goodness and full of hope. You know what else I celebrate? That there were people from our church bringing him meals in his final days. 
People that didn't even know him at all, showing up at his house for the first time, bringing meals. It's the love of God. We celebrate that. We receive that. We're a church family. We do that together because of Jesus. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, look at the affirmation Paul gives now, an affirmation from brother, sister, from another person. He's saying this to the Ephesians. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Our church reminds me of this. Full of faith, it leads to love, and we give thanks to God. Faith ultimately expressed in love. Faith leads to love. When it is true faith, there's a display of love, and we thank God together. It was evident in the church in Ephesus. Paul was celebrating and affirming that. Now we're in Revelation chapter 2, and we're 35 years later. Have you ever seen something in one generation that's really strong, and then another generation later, you're like, that eh, doesn't quite look the same. The Ephesians, 35 years earlier, so much love, so much faith. We thank God. Well, what's the update 35 years later? What does it look like? Well, Jesus points this out. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. He says, yet I hold this against you. The affirmations are sincere. They're real. They're powerful. Receive them. And he adds, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. The love you had at first, the love you used to have for Jesus and for one another, it's kind of dimmed a little, if we're honest. The love you have for Jesus and the love you have for other people is connected. They are inseparable. No one can say, I love Jesus and I don't really love the people around me. Uh, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. They're connected. Your love for Jesus and the love for the people around you are connected. And you know what? It's not quite the same. And Jesus brings a rebuke. Love includes a warning. Love includes a rebuke. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that a parent who loves their child includes some wise discipline. Because you love your child, you're going to bring some discipline and some rebukes to help them grow spiritual maturity Proverbs chapter 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. Someone pointed out last week that when iron sharpens iron, there's some sparks that fly. It's not just hugs and kumbaya. There's some sparks that fly. We need some sharpening to grow that includes rebuking. If no one's rebuking you, you might not be growing that much. If you're not rebuking anyone, they might not be growing that much. This is a necessity. Jesus did it. It's throughout the Bible, and it's wise for us with a spirit of love. Here's the combination, honesty and humility. When you rebuke someone, when things get tense in the marriage and the family, remember this combination, honesty and humility. Don't give up on either one of those. If you ditch the honesty, you're going to tuck everything and try to compartmentalize it and just smile like you're all spiritual. And there's a whole other story going on. If you ditch the humility, your pride's going to rise up and it's going to get ugly and you're almost just going to hope that no one saw that conflict in what you did. Humility and honesty will lead to the greatest fruit and the greatest growth. And we need both. Both are part of a rebuke. So, well, why wouldn't we rebuke? Because we have fears. 
because we're afraid that we might hurt their feelings. We might be misunderstood. Maybe we haven't earned it. We need to know them for a few more years and then do it. Or maybe the person won't like me and there'll be some distance. If I hold someone accountable, you know, maybe they're going to slander me and gossip me, even though I'm honoring God. Those all run through our mind, and it comes back to this. Love includes rebukes. What's your view of love? I don't know what your perspective is on what love truly is. I want to declare this so often in the Bible. Love is not easy, comfortable, casual, or safe. If your view of love is that it's easy, comfortable, casual, and safe, it could be time to get back in the word, back to Jesus, and really see what biblical love is. Because it looks very sacrificial. It looks very costly. It doesn't look safe when Jesus is on the cross. It doesn't look comfortable when he's putting everyone else above himself when he lays down his life, it doesn't look like our Savior to always try to live comfortable, safe, selfish, or casual. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Jesus said, looking ahead in Matthew chapter 24, and this is a phrase that stood out with me, the love of many will grow cold in the end times. Here's the context. Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus is telling them, preparing the disciples And it's a great chapter to read. Uh, Starting in verse 8, we see that he's talking about the beginnings of the end times and the birth pangs. Before this, there's wars and rumors of wars. Uh, We're going for, let's see, we're, we're in Acts there. We're looking for Matthew chapter 24. If it's not there, let me find it. Uh, Oh, there we go. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Do you notice when your love grows cold? Do you notice when you get a little too critical or harsh? When you get kind of judgy, a little self-righteous, a little better than other folks? Do you notice when you get gossipy? Do you notice when you're not really loving the people around you and you're over-focused on yourself? Francis Chan, I was listening to one of his messages, and he was comparing. He's meeting brothers and sisters in China and India. In China, there's so much suffering, and there's an underground church. In India, he says, they travel so far. There's so few churches. And what he noticed is that People will come from a long distance desiring God because they hear that there's going to be communion. Or they hear that people are gathering for prayer. Or they hear that the word of God is going to be shared. And they travel long distances. Communion, prayer, the word of God is opened. He says that's been his experience. And then people from there trying to process sometimes in America what we're doing, they'll ask him questions. And they say, you know, what exactly is going on spiritually in America? And he says, if I'm honest, people kind of do this, and they say, well, who's the speaker? Do I like the speaker? Do I like the worship band? Okay, okay. Is Tim Keller at the conference? You know, that's what he said. Uh, One of the speakers is well-known in America. And he said, from God's perspective looking down, and I love our country. 
I'm, I'm not saying there's no one here who loves Jesus, but it's helpful sometimes to see perspective when you step out of our country, and sometimes it's helpful and convicting. And when God looks down and there's people over here saying, we just got to get there for prayer, the prayer meeting. We got to go pray with our brothers and sisters. We, we're taking communion. I'll travel all day to get there for that because we're taking communion. And over here, it's, well, how's the band and how's the speaker? Okay, well, we'll see if I come then. And he says, which do you think God is more honored by in terms of our hearts in our love for God, in our hunger for God. Which one? What's going on? And for the Ephesians, you would say, your moral stance is outstanding. Your doctrine is impeccable. Your principles are so biblical. And sincerely, you would say, well done. Keep going with that. Don't water it down. Your love, not so much. Your moral stance and doctrine is outstanding. Wow, airtight. But your love, not so much. Wouldn't it be helpful for us to think through our lives right here? First, receiving God's love. How's your receiver working? Daily grace, daily love, daily truth. How much are you receiving from God? How much of the Holy Spirit? How much are you receiving? Because that'll set the course for your other relationships. Now, let's think through our relationships with God. If we're being honest, if one is quite cold, 10 is on fire, passionate about God, what would be these numbers for you? Seeking God, listening to God, enjoying time with God, prioritizing that, excitement to hear from the Lord, praise and worship God all week. What does that look like for you? What number? Where's your love? What about the church family? Now, I think COVID threw us a curveball when we had to stay far away from each other. But when you come to church, are you excited to see your brothers and sisters? Or do you just stay in your private lane, try to just kind of meet and a couple people I know? Or is this like family? And, and you love your brothers and sisters. And you're just like, wow, I'm so excited to connect. And how can I, you know, maybe get in a life group and go deeper with more of them? Like, what's your heart attitude here? Uh, you know, sometimes a visitor will share honest feedback and say, wow, like this was good, this was good, this was good. And it's fresh eyes, it's helpful. And what I hear sometimes, especially the last couple of years, is no one noticed me, no one greeted me. No one connected with me. I just did that for a few weeks, and nobody just said hello. And I don't think that's on the ushers and the greeters. I mean, we're thankful for them. But isn't that all of us together checking our hearts so that whoever comes in would feel like family, would be well-received, who would be loved? I mean, how is our love as a church family? And then what about our neighbors? Are we available to the people that live up and down our block? Do we know them? Do we know their names? This is where the rubber hits the road. It was Friday night, just two days ago, and I was watching the game. Friday is a day off for me. I was looking forward to the game, and the game was close, one-to-one. -one. I'm into the game. I'm enjoying the game, and the doorbell rings. You ever have that moment? <laughs> what do you do when the doorbell rings? Well, it was some of our neighbors, and the guy wanted to talk with me. I could tell. Here's the door. The game's around the corner. It's one-to-one. -one. I've been looking forward to this game. It's a great game. It's a great atmosphere. 
and he wants to talk. Do you ever feel those moments, those tugs? You say, well, did you feel like talking to him? Honestly, I think God knows, I felt like watching the game. I really did. But he wanted to talk. So he started talking, and we're talking, and I knew the right thing to do was to talk. Sometimes your feelings come along later. Amen? We don't always just do what we feel like doing. The right thing was to talk. We're talking more. I'll hear, goal, and I'm like, you know, who scored? Who scored? We're talking a little more. Goal, and I was like, I missed another one because I still had the volume on. Goal, it ends up three to two. I missed the game, missed the game, but we had a great conversation. Isn't that the truth, though? I mean, where we're at, which way am I going? What's the right thing? Where's the love? What about with your family? What about with your spouse? Was there a time when you really loved them more? Couldn't wait to pursue them, get to know them, listen to every word, serve them, cherish them. How are things now? Where's the love? What about kids? Are you patient? Do you see them as a gift? Do you savor that time with them? Or do you get kind of resentful, kind of complaining? Well, they probably got that from their other, you know, spouse, my spouse. They probably got that from that side of the family. Like, where's your heart with your kids? Uh, sometimes, you know what happens during COVID? Uh, people step back and they get comfortable just watching online, right? That's easy to do. It's not a sin to watch online. But you know what happens sometimes? The parents are watching online because it's so convenient and comfortable, and the kids aren't getting any spiritual food. They're not here. They're not connected. Their little souls are not fed, but it's really convenient for mom and dad. When you love the kids, you're thinking, how can I bring them to connect so that they can experience and grow in their own faith? That foundation they need in God. You're thinking about kids. You could you know, keep going. Maybe it's too convicting, but you could keep going. Uh, but job and school, are you there just to do work, or are you there for so much more when you go to your job? The love and the light of Jesus. Yes, through the work, but also beyond the work. What we notice is there's a lot of cultural norms today. One of the cultural norms is to be lukewarm with your faith, to be super casual, partly committed, and just kind of worship and pray like if it's really, really good and the speaker's really good, then maybe attend once a month. That's the norm in our culture. I don't see that biblically. The norm in our culture is to keep relationships shallow. I like to have fun in the elevator, just because I know it's the cultural norm not to talk to anybody. I, I try not to make it too awkward or weird, but I feel like it's a success if I get to know the person in the elevator and we end up laughing together and had a great time. Uh, sometimes it goes better than others. But it's cultural norms, sometimes they're so stifling. You, you know what happens if you buy into the culture? You're only going to love the people who are like you or who like you who agree with you, believe the same thing as you, the ones who are nice to you, those are the ones you're going to love. Those are the ones um, that you're going to limit your love to. And that's the cultural norm. Do you ever just want to shatter the cultural norms with the love of Jesus? You know what Jesus did to the cultural norms? This is from Matthew chapter 5. Because the disciples, they're negotiating. Well, how much do I really need to love people? That was their heart. It was a heart of negotiation and minimalization and rationalization. If we have outstanding doctrine, is it okay if we don't really have that much love? 
Ooh, the legalists didn't like that word right there. The legalists are just, just get back to condemning some folks. Quit talking about the love, right? So this is what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said, and, and he's talking in Matthew chapter five, verse 43. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you something totally different. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He still blesses and shows common grace for people who hate him. Wow. Jesus died for those who were murdering him. Verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors, and those were the ones in the culture that had the least love, Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? People that reject God and hate God, they at least show some kindness to the people who, you know, are there and nice to them. Is that the testimony of Jesus? I want to declare that you are not called to fit into the cultural norms. You are called to shatter them. And what you carry is a calling of love, and you are a culture changer. Because you abide with Jesus, and you change cultures. Because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Don't settle for less than that. Don't settle. And it leads to this last question. Do you want to repent now? Verse 5, it says this. Jesus, again, is talking to the church. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What are the Ephesians hearing? Right? Is truth important? Absolutely. Does Jesus commend us for standing on the truth? Yes, Jesus is the truth. But truth is not the whole picture. And then there's love. In what Jesus is saying throughout the Bible, because they asked him, what's the most important command? And he said, love God, love, love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Love, love your neighbor. Jesus declares it, that love is prominent, love is first, If you're racking up all kinds of points for everything else that's ritual and rule-based and you just missed the love, you really missed it. You really missed it. So if that's what Jesus says, then how do I recalibrate, repent, return to Jesus? And he says this, I'll remove your lampstand. There are churches that cease to be churches because they don't have the love and truth of Jesus and he removes their lampstand. And then in, we see, in, historically speaking, in the 5th century, the church in Ephesus declined. Uh, after the 14th century, uninhabited. Does Jesus do that? Does he just have a local church stop existing sometimes because they don't have the love and truth of Jesus? He sure does. He sure does. But he doesn't want that for the Ephesus. Sometimes in our culture we say, well, I fell out of love, you know, got married, was in love, And then, got kind of challenging, fell out of love, think I'm moving on. That's our culture so often. I fall in love. I fall out of love. I just go with my feelings. My feelings are here, now my feelings aren't there. So that, I'll tell you what, it's the exact opposite biblically. You receive 
love from Jesus, who's fully committed to you. Now you're full of love. Now you believe, even before you feel, you believe to honor the Lord is to love. So you love, and your feelings eventually catch up a lot of times. That's why he says, do the things you did at first. Start doing the things that are loving, and your feelings often catch up. Start doing those things. Repent and do those things. Uh, As we wrap up, I want you to notice there's both in this intimate conversation with Jesus. There's a celebration and an affirmation. I hope that you can identify what God is doing in your life and how you're faithfully serving him and how he is affirming and building you up today. Don't skip over that. And then also, would you listen to Jesus because he's committed to your spiritual growth? Would you listen to him in those areas where repentance is needed, those areas of love? And we're going to have an opportunity now, as I invite the elders to come forward, where we're going to have a time of worship and prayer. And here are some specific situations that you might want to come forward and receive prayer. First, if you've never put your trust in Jesus and you're ready today to follow him. You've just realized today it's about love and a relationship. You can't earn this. This is the gospel. You could come forward to put your trust in Jesus for the first time. If you're here and you need healing, then you could come forward during prayer and receive healing from an elder, healing prayers, anointing with oil, and you can receive that today. If you're here today, and let's say there's some sin that you've been involved in, you want to repent. The Bible says in the same passage, James chapter 5, you can confess your sins to one another, and there's restoration. So there's a number of reasons to come forward and to receive prayer. And uh, I invite you uh, to come forward. Let's stand up together as we worship and as we pray. Father God, thank you for your love for us that isn't waver, doesn't get watered down. You are faithful, Jesus. Nothing can separate us from your love. Not even death or life, angels or demons. We're secure in your love, Jesus. And with your great love for us, God, we pray that we would receive it today. We would repent today. We would return to you today. You'd empower us today. Thank you, God, that you are love. Lead and guide this time of worship and prayer as we respond We have ears to hear and respond to what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.